you had made it through kindergarten to year six, you were top of the tree. You'd graduated infants and primary school. You'd been to the end of year speech night at the local town hall, and it was all over. High school awaited after the long summer holidays. From a primary school of maybe 300 kids, I was going to a high school of 1,100 pupils, and I was really excited. I, I just couldn't wait. So, here's my story of starting high school. Let's begin. In a land far, far away, um, well, far away if, if you live a long way from Sydney, Australia, a long, long time ago, um, long time, well, well, it was 1967 to be precise, there was a boy called Scott who had golden hair and a cheeky grin. Uh, <clears throat> look, I'm, I'm going to change the narrative style here. I think I, <clears throat> I, I really don't know what I was thinking. Okay. So just as the school holidays started, after primary school ended, Mum became very ill and was hospitalised. Dad, being self-employed and having to work every day, had to farm out my three younger brothers and I to live with various relatives while Mum was in hospital. I was put up with my aunt and uncle who lived several kilometres from our family home. But actually, they were my father's aunt and uncle, not mine. So they were old, probably, I don't know, mid-60s, I'd guess. <clears throat> now, I knew Auntie Hazel and Uncle Toby as part of my extended family, but I'd never been away from being with my immediate family for more than a night or two before. Auntie Hazel was a tallish, thin woman who was quite forthright in her views, she often spoke about her diabetes, a disease she appeared to manage very well. She was quite chatty and liked to laugh too. I remember one day she asked if I, I wanted to see a picture of her as a young woman. Sure. I duly looked at this slightly faded photograph and looked back at Annie Hazel. This is you, I said. I looked again at the slightly wrinkled grandmother beside me. I found it hard to believe that this stunningly beautiful young woman in the picture was my old Auntie Hazel. Hmm. Uncle Toby was, uh, by contrast, he was something of an enigma, to be honest. Hazel and Toby actually lived in the house next door to my father's house when Dad grew up in working-class southwestern Sydney. Dad always said that Everyone in his street where he grew up was scared of Toby. He was a man of few words, broad and stocky with a sombre countenance, though he was quite friendly when you got to know him a bit. Dad told me once that Toby's demeanour was actually to mask a painful shyness, and furthermore, Toby was just a nickname, that his real name was Clarence. Now, staying 
with my great aunt and uncle had some pluses and, yeah, some minuses. On the plus side, for the first time ever, I had my own room. I'd always shared with my brothers. My aunt was a great cook too. And she was always making me treats, cakes and slices. Also, and this was really great, I was allowed to stay up late. At home with mum and dad, time after time, I'd be sent to bed, just as a movie on TV was moving into the dramatic final third. But mum, dad, I need to know what happens. Go to bed, Scott. So this meant on many mornings I'd have to ask mum to summarise the end of a film for me. Now I could watch a movie right through to the end. I could watch until the credits finished. And sometimes that was as late as after 11pm. But on the other hand, I had to adhere to my aunt and uncle's household rules. These were probably the same rules that they used on their, their own children who were now grown up. Putting your elbows on the table was forbidden. When I did it, and I did it often, I would receive a sharp flick to the offending elbow and that would quickly show me the error of my ways. The other thing they were very strict about was sitting on a bed. I got sprung committing this sin several times. I would be sternly told that beds are for sleeping in only, and if I wanted to sit, I should find a chair. You know, even to this day, I never sit on a bed. Of course I sit on beds. It was just a stupid rule. As the weeks passed and the first day of high school approached, my imagined scenario of walking into the high school at my mother's side on day one became less and less likely. I was never given any information about her condition, nor was there any talk of ever going to visit her. I had no idea of her illness, nothing. The only small piece of information I had was once my aunt took a phone call while I was in the room. The call only lasted a few seconds. My aunt looked at me and said, Your mother is now out of intensive care. I never knew she was in intensive care, Aunty Hazel. We didn't want to worry you, was her reply. That was the sum total of the medical updates on Mum for the three months or so she was in hospital. I started to think I'd never see her again. Dad had always tried to stereotype the personalities of his four sons from as early as I can remember. He had me down as some sort of a loner. The truth is, and was, that I'm nothing of the sort. And I realised when living in a house with an old couple, away from my brothers and my school friends, and it was school holidays, that I missed them all a lot. I was always riding my push bike the half hour or so, to catch up with friends and see my brothers. There was nothing to do at my uncle and aunt's after all. Dad would drop around roughly once a week for half an hour or so to see how I was getting on. One week after he'd been talking to 
my aunt and uncle, he took me aside and told me he was disappointed to hear that I'd been putting my elbows on the table and sitting on my bed and that I must do better. He didn't speak about mum hardly at all, except to say that she was still sick. I was counting the days until high school was to start. Several times, when my uncle was out and my aunt was gardening or something, I would go to my room, shut the door, have a sneaky sit on my bed for a few minutes, then go to the wardrobe and take out my brand new high school uniform, the long trousers, the shirt, the tie, and best of all, my school blazer. I'd look in the mirror and think, how good is this? It was the blazer that was the real highlight for me. Then I'd do this little one-boy, one-outfit fashion parade with a sense of tension, never knowing if there was going to be a surprise sitting on the bed check or being questioned about why I was all dressed up in my school uniform ready for school, a month early. I did decide to make one small alteration to the school uniform, specifically to my school tie. We had been warned by some older kids who knew about such things that there was a practice of uh, bullies grabbing the new boys' tie tags and yanking them violently until they tore the tie apart essentially. Uh, the tie tag is the little loop behind the main part of a tie where you tuck the thinner part into. Uh, if the bully succeeded, uh, it really would rip the tie wide open, so tearing the stitching so it would look more like a cravat than a tie. So I did as I'd been advised, and I uh, found some scissors and cut the loop off. This turned out to be good advice. Finally, finally, the big day arrived and I was up, fully kitted out in my school uniform. Excited, yeah, but disappointed that with mum still in hospital, it would be my great aunt accompanying me for the first day. Would everyone think this old lady was my mum? When I walked proudly into the kitchen that morning, my aunt's first words were, You can't wear that blazer. Not wear the blazer? That's the best part. She went on, It's the middle of summer. It's too hot for your blazer. Don't worry. In winter you'll be wearing it every day. No, auntie. I'm wearing it today. You'll get too hot. No, I won't. Not long after, we're both waiting at the bus stop. My aunt stood silently, angry that the small boy beside her had won this argument. Okay, so it was a hot day, and each bead of sweat forming on my forehead, courtesy of the morning summer sun, was clear and constant evidence that it was, in fact, too hot for a blazer. But I wasn't going to take it off. We rode the bus in silence. 
Alighting at our stop, it was still a five-minute walk to the school. I could see many other kids, mainly with their mothers, a few with both parents, dozens of little groups, all walking in the same direction towards the school. I was the only one walking with an old lady. I walked on forward a bit. I suppose attempting to create an impression that I was starting high school alone, such was my independence and confidence that had been bestowed on me by my magic sweat-laden blazer. As an immature 12-year-old, I was not the least bit cognizant of the fact that my aunt found this action of separating from her on the walk rude and disrespectful, which it most certainly was. I, I didn't want anyone thinking she was my mum. My mum was... 30 years younger than my aunt. The only solution, and I suppose this would have been wildly impractical, was for my aunt to wear a high-vis vest emblazoned with text on the front and back saying, I am this boy's old great-aunt. Entering the school gates, uh, I sort of had to run a gauntlet of being glared out by groups of boys regarding all the newies with some disdain. I saw them talking out of the corner of their mouths to each other as we passed down the hill to the school gymnasium come assembly hall. I recognised a few of the boys from primary school. So th these were the kids a year ahead of us. So now they would have someone to push around. I thought, well, good luck with yanking my non-existent tie tag boys by now, I let my aunt catch up with me, and we took our seats in the gym. There was a series of speeches to welcome us, the last of which was given by the male school captain. He finished his speech with these words. Ask not what the school can do for you, but rather what you can do for the school. Okay. So he stole those lines from uh, President John F. Kennedy's speech. Ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. But I suppose if you're going to steal material, steal the good stuff. Now it came time to read out the classes we were being assigned to for the year. In the 60s, uh, what is now called Year 7 was called First Form and School culminated in sixth form, now called Year 12. There were enough new students enrolled to fill seven classes. 1A and 1B were to be the classes for the advanced students, smart kids. 1C and D for the next academic level down, and so on to 1G, which I think was called remedial. So one of the head teachers uh, came to the mic and started to read out names for the year's classes. The following pupils are in 1G. Please assemble here to my right when you hear your name. A teacher come and led them away to their homeroom. Then 1F was read out, exiting stage left through the very large garage-sized doorway with their respective homeroom teacher. Then 1E was read out. And I'm sitting there thinking, 
please don't read my name. Important head teacher guy, don't read my name. Don't read my name yet. The gym was getting emptier now. More and more spare seats. One D shuffled out and I was still there. The teacher came and started reading out 1C. I thought, 1C, yeah, I could cope with that. The 1C students assembled behind, beside the head teacher before another home teacher beckoned them to follow her out. I watched them leave. I was going to be in one of the advanced classes. I turned to look at my aunt to gauge her reaction. She just stared straight ahead, expressionless. I wish my mum had been there. Thanks for listening. Please tell someone else about this podcast if you think they'll enjoy it, and uh, we will talk soon.